Good morning, church. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's good to see everybody. I've been praying for uh, 30 minutes that I can speak without like going into this huge coughing thing that is going around with a lot of folks. Uh, I've asked a few people to pray, and I think they've prayed for like 15 minutes. Or, you know, they want that shorter sermon. <clears throat> but it's good to see everybody. We welcome everyone. We welcome our live stream. We welcome uh, uh, folks in uh, uh, the Fellowship Center and, uh, of course, everyone here. But I want to make mention, a lot of times, uh, I visit the booth a lot of times and, and talk to the live stream audience ahead of time. I did that this morning, and it is such a blessing to have you guys from all over the world, literally. Uh, <clears throat> but what I want to say is to our live stream folks who are listening, who are local, our own church members. Sometimes, you know, we acknowledge everybody all over the world, and we don't even acknowledge sometimes our folks that are right here. But, you know, we've had a lot of uh, uh, sickness, a lot of challenges over the last couple of years, right? And uh, and uh, and so there are a lot of people who physically can't get out and get around and be here. And I want you to know, uh, you are you might be far from this building. You are never far from our minds or our hearts. And so I just want you to know I'm thinking about you today. Uh, Kaylee, uh, Larry's going to do our scripture reading, so... <clears throat> Kaylee, if you're not afraid to stand to an old coffin man, why come up here and uh, share with us the scripture today, would you please? 1 Corinthians 4:16-17. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Thank you. By the way, Kaylee, let's hang on just a second. It's okay. She, she, uh, Kaylee loves, uh, uh, cheer competition. She, uh, works. They sent me a message that says she works at, uh, FC, uh, or, uh, CFA. And I said, what is that? Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, you know, uh, I love young women who, uh, have com- some competitiveness about them, who love the Lord, obviously, first of all. And who's willing to go out and get a job. I mean, guys, I mean, that's the kind you look for right there. I mean, not her right now. She's waiting, but, you know, down the road. Thank you for sharing with us. All right. I want to say congratulations to uh, Lisa Robertson. Lisa, wherever you are these days traveling, she, uh, uh, I, noticed, I noticed she's now, you know, exceeded Al. She's out. Uh, Preaching to the thousands, she spoke at the uh, March, uh, Right to Life March, Washington D.C. Uh, did a great job. Uh, she was on Fox and Friends News. So I mean, uh, uh, Lisa, uh, you can preach with me anytime. And Al, you're you're okay too. All right. Uh, now we're very proud of both of you guys and the ministry you do here as well as away from here. Uh, <clears throat> I was in a, uh, I was in a class. On Tuesday nights, I'm taking right now, and uh, so I'm sitting there thinking. I hadn't been feeling too good earlier in the week, and you know, sometimes uh, I don't know if you've ever felt bad. You know, you can kind of feel your own heartbeat. You know, boom, boom, boom. You know, which is always a good sign means you're still alive, right? So I always try to take the positive side of things. 
I'm sitting there in that class. I'm not feeling too great. It's real hot in there, and I'm, I feel like I'm feeling my heart beating. I feel like it's beating extra hard. Just boom, boom. So I take a deep breath. It stops for a minute. And then all of a sudden, you know, how something gets in your mind. And then it starts kind of, I feel like it's beating like all the way in my back. Just like boom, 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 this rhythm. And then I turn and look, and there's a little girl with her chair up next to me coloring. And every time she goes, shoo, 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 she's bumping my chair. And so that's how things so easily get into your mind from outside that really don't mean that much, right? Uh, <clears throat> sometimes it's really hard to get things on the outside really to the inside. Sometimes it's an easy job with us, but sometimes it's difficult. Paul had a difficult thing. He's dealing with some uh, uh, Corinthians. He's dealing with the unity that Al talked about that's so needed because they were divided over what men they follow. And and yet they had this great need to fix these outside things they're seeing. You had to have the inside right. And it had to have a right attitude if you're going to correct your actions to where they need to be. And so uh, Corinth had this leaders. By the way, we need them as well, right? We need young men stepping up, young women stepping up, being strong leaders. Uh, we've been fortunate in our ministry to have some great leaders here locally. We've also been very fortunate to partner with leaders around the world. And in one kingdom, we have some ambassadors in different parts of the world. And we lost one of those leaders recently. His name is Asi over in India. Asi passed away. We, uh, uh, we celebrate his victory, even though his family suffered a loss. Uh, we were on a Zoom conference with uh, not only uh, his family and others from around the world uh, with One Kingdom this week, which was great, by the way, just to look at a screen on a TV and see all these people from different parts of the world all together in one mission to get the gospel out, right? You, we're united there. That's great. But in particular, at this time, I want us to recognize Aussie's leadership over the many, many years as he served in partnership with us, getting the gospel out, especially to his country in India. And we want to do that by showing you a uh, short video. Jesus died. I die with him. Jesus was buried. Yes, I am buried with him. God rose him, Jesus. He raised me up. So I live with Jesus. We both live in heaven. 
as God being our path. So that is the gospel. Amen. A life well lived. Uh, when Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 4, he writes about leadership. As I read through chapter 4, we're going to deal with chapter 4 and 5. As I read through chapter 4 about Paul and his apostleship, and and then I also had on my mind, I see in his leadership, the thing that came together real quickly was Paul looked at the Corinthians as his children, as a parent, uh, that his kids in the faith. And I thought of the many, many people that Ossie's converted and his children in the faith. And the challenge that is to grow them and sometimes correct them and bring them along in the Lord. And and so <clears throat> the same problem still exists that existed back in the days of the Bible, right? Trying to cause people to be disciples through the gospel and then growing them up to disciple other people and share that love. That's always the challenge. It's a very simple challenge but difficult one to keep discipleship going in the lives of people. And you run into problems like Paul did with the Corinthian church where they're, they're, they've all of a sudden started elevating guys above each other and uh, have some division there among the men. And so in this chapter, Paul is going to deal... Uh, with that, and he's going to talk about this being a leader. He's actually going to show he's a leader with integrity, and he's a leader in righteousness. And he's going to challenge them the same about their leaders because they're having a little bit of a struggle. Let's do a little bit of reading in, in chapter four, verse one. He says, "So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things or mysteries of God." Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, in this section, the first thing uh, he's going to do, you're going to see he gives us, he paints three pictures of, of, of leadership. And the uh, first one he paints is this idea of being a serving steward. Now, the word serving here in this very first verse, this word servants he mentions, Paul does, it means the under rower. The guy on the bottom, in the bottom of the a ship who's rowing, that's him. That's what he paints, that picture. And he's an under rower, but he has responsibilities. He's a steward, steward, he says. So uh, he's a guy that's been entrusted with something. He's a steward, and he's a servant. Now, he's not the master, but he's responsible for some things to the master. So Paul paints this picture that he himself and the apostles, they are serving, they're rowing, they're, they're rowing, but they also have responsibility for everybody else that's serving too. And trying to get everything headed in the right direction. That's the picture. And in this picture of responsibility, other people have been passing judgment on them. And Paul basically says, look, I'm responsible to the master. 
You can judge me if you want, but I, that, that, I, I care a little about that. By the way, find a preacher that way, right? That cares a little about being judged. By, uh, the, the, the judgment of the audience doesn't really, you know, move him too much, right? Paul says, your judgment doesn't move him. He said, matter of fact, he says, my own judgment. I can be clear in conscience myself. My conscience is clear. My motives are good, but even I don't judge myself. I mean, I'm not a good judge of, of everything, even though I might feel I feel okay about everything. But ultimately, the only judge that matters is the Father in heaven. He's the one that makes a difference in my life on how I serve and, and the responsibilities that I have as a, a son of God. And so there is man's judgment, there's self-judgment, and there's God's judgment, but only God's judgment is important to Paul here. So he tells them, I'm a rowing servant with responsibilities for all these other servants that are following Jesus. That's the first picture of leadership. Now, he paints another picture of leadership as humble, a humble spectacle. You'll, you'll get what I mean by that in just a few minutes. Let's do a little bit of reading. Verse 6 again. Now, brothers... I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying, do not go beyond what's written. Basically, now there's two thoughts here from the commentators. One, Paul's just telling them, when you do something, be sure it's biblical. Or the other idea is that Paul actually had written something to them earlier and addressing some of their situation. And now he's telling them to remember what he wrote the first time. Uh, then you'll not take pride in one man over against another. Remember, that's what they said. I'm a Paulus. I'm a Paul. I'm of Christ. Says you won't do that. If you, if you stay, stay with what I wrote. Stay with what's the Bible. You won't do that. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So basically, he's calling them out on their arrogant attitudes. You, you really didn't get anything. What you have or whatever you received, you didn't have anything to do with it. God gave you that. Somebody else gave you that. Now, Paul, uh, he's gonna get sarcastic here. How many of you are very, are you, in your family, is your family sar- sarcastic? Do you have a family full of sarcasm? I see one other person confessing their sin along with me. Yeah, my, mine is. I mean, it's pretty tough. Uh, you know, and, uh, I can remember bringing people to the house and I'm thinking, I hope you got tough skin because it can kind of get a little rough around here sometimes, you know. Uh, you can get made fun of real easy and those kind of things, right? We're usually, matter of fact, sarcasm in our society has high value. The funniest people are some of the most sarcastic people, right? And so sometimes that's not really good, but that's kind of how we are. But what, but Paul's going to use sarcasm, but he's going to use it in, in the exact right balance that he needs to in rebuking these guys for their arrogance. And so, uh, just listen to what he says. Verse 8. Already you have, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings. And that, well, you did it without us. How I wish that you really had become king so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put apostles on display at the end of the procession. Now, let me stop and kind of pause here for a minute. 
a procession when a, when a king conquered a, a, another land and they captured those slaves and they carried them in. They would come into the city in a big parade, in a big procession. Okay? And those slaves would be at the end of that procession and they would get displayed. And then at the end of that, they would take them and march them to the Colosseum. And the Colosseum, they became entertainment for the nation as they were thrown to the beast. Got it? That's the picture he's got. He says, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. This spectacle is the word in the Greek where we get our word theater. He says, we've been put on display, we've been paraded through, and now all of a sudden they've just thrown us in the Colosseum and everybody looks at us for, as entertainment in the, in the destruction of our lives. He's, that's the picture he's painting, a spectacle. We are fools for Christ. <laughs> but you, why you're so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you, oh, you're strong. We are honored, uh, uh, you, uh, we, you are honored, we're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become, look at this phrase, scum of the earth. What a compliment, right? Scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Paul says, you put yourselves up as kings and ruling. You've got things all under control. Uh, we're just come to the earth. We're just a spectacle on display. This is how our lives are. Throws this little sarcastic comparison to their lives. Then you see in verse 14 through 21, he paints the real picture. Now he describes this leadership as a loving father. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, or one version says admonish you, encourage. To warn you as my dear children. This is how he feels about that. This is the word beloved. This is that agape kind of love I have for my kids. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, these guardians that he talks about, this, this hyperbole here, he's saying... A guardian was uh, uh, somebody that walked the kids to school and made sure that they got there back and forth safe. He said, you got all kinds of people like that to walk with you. You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He'll remind you of my way of life. In Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every truth. Here's what he says. <clears throat> now, he says, not only are we servants, not only are we spectacle, he said, I'm a father to you. I baptized some of you. I raised some of you up. I'm close to some of you. Do you remember people you're close to that converted you? Think back for a minute. Think back what it was like that somebody that's really close to your heart that really made an impact on your walk in Christ. If somebody come up and ask you, who was really the father of your faith? Outside the gospel in Jesus, of course, there's one father, God. But I mean, the father, physical, somebody really took care of you. Who would that be? 
Who would be your father in the faith? And how would you respond when they need to correct you? He's a loving parent. And as a parent, matter of fact, I told someone earlier today that I did my best parental advice. I gave my best parental advice when I didn't have any kids. Isn't that kind of how that is, right? You know all the answers then. And then you have them, and you're like, okay, what do I do with these hoodlums, you know? I mean, what am I going to do to help these guys? So that's kind of how that happened. And, but, but they're your kids. And you love them deeply. Matter of fact, you would give anything to help them spiritually. And some of you know Paul's pain and Paul's anguish here more than others. Some of you have raised your kids in the Lord. I get it. You shared the good news with them. They came up, you thought everything was good, and they lost their way. They got off track, and now it just it, it haunts your heart. You would give anything, wouldn't you? You'd give anything if they could find their way back. You love them so deeply. And because you love them deeply, the pain is deep. And this is the pain Paul felt toward the Corinthians in their divisive, arrogant state. And yet he sees them as his children. And he says, some of you have become arrogant. As if I, was, I wasn't going to come to you. You think I'm not going to be there. So, you, you, you know, people are braver when you're not with them, right? Till you get there, right? But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but with what power they have. Talk is cheap. We're going to find out. Paul says, I'm going to find out really how your life is. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Here he is as a parent. Shall I come to you with a whip? Or in love and with a gentle spirit. <clears throat> Did your parents ever give you a choice of punishment? My dad wasn't big on choices. He was big on decision making. <clears throat> and so uh, when we had a problem, basically, uh, I remember one time uh, <clears throat> one of my uh, uh, brothers uh, uh, <clears throat> got caught talking in church. And so we ran to the house. He was going to run in there real quick and change his his pants, you know, get those dress pants. I'll put on some blue jeans before dad got there, you know, and so, but they, but dad catches him with his britches about halfway down and then he, boy, then he wears him out for acting up in church, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> he knew what was coming. Dad didn't say, well, I'll give you a choice. Would you like time out or would you like uh, a switch or what would be, you know, uh, I, I would love to have this choice. I'm going to come to you with a whip or with love and gentleness. I, I believe I'm choosing love and gentleness. What do you think? Is that a wise choice? But Paul is expressing here his deep love for his kids. And I guarantee you, if you thought setting them in the right direction and it would seal the deal for you, you'd whip them in a minute, even though you loved them deeply. And Paul would too. He wants his kids to live right. Get this pride out of the way. Well, 
this next section in chapter 5, it's almost like, okay, he goes from establishing his leadership and his motives to now he really has to practice some discipline. In this section, he's going to be correcting with integrity and righteousness a terrible sin that exists in the church. Let's just do a little bit of reading here in the first little bit of chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. Sexual immorality in the church. Paul says, look, it's, it's, it's known publicly. This isn't, this isn't some secret somewhere. This isn't gossip. This is just known publicly. You've got a son living with his stepmother. Paul says, not even the pagans do that. You do that. And not only are you doing it, you do it and you stay in the church like everything's okay. Matter of fact, look at how the church is responding. And you're proud. How could they be proud of something like that? Oh, that's how that, I'll tell you how. It's the idea, I hear it all the time from churches that put up with sexual immorality. I hear it all the time. You know what that, you know what, hey, we're just all about love. We accept everybody. It doesn't matter your lifestyle. It doesn't matter if it's homosexuality. It doesn't matter if it's adultery. Just come on, we love everybody here. Who are we to judge? It's happening today, people, just like it happened back then. And it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that immorality existed. It's the fact that it existed in the church and they didn't do anything about it. Paul says, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of fellowship the man who did this? He said, look, you responded with pride. Shouldn't you really have been grieved by this? You should be mourning this. And in this mourning, in this sadness, in this grief, you put this man out that's trying to stay in and live this way. And evidently the woman was not a believer. Because later on he's going to tell us you handle believers and unbelievers different in this situation. Look what he says. Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you were assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. The reason you expel this brother is to save his soul. You're trying to save his soul. And you're trying to protect the church at the same time. Look what he says. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And then he gives them that illustration. If this sin is allowed to go on, it will work its way through and infect the entire body. That's why you got to deal with it. Verse 9. I've written to you in my letter... Not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. 
But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, a greedy, idolater, or slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, don't even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Here's what he says. He describes this sin. It's well known. It's revolting. And it's ongoing. They had the wrong response because they, they're prideful about it instead of grieving and mourning. They should have grief and discipline. And the reason behind the discipline is to save his soul and protect the church. Now this discipline is for the believers, not the unbelievers. Why should I choose not to eat with that guy? I want him to feel the full effect of withdrawing this relationship so that he'll miss it and won't back in and repent and come back to God. That's the whole idea of expelling the brother. Two things happen. You want to save his soul and you want to protect the purity of the body of Christ. Now, Paul's going to later on next week, he's going to deal with some immorality issues even more in depth. But this particular circumstance exists in the church. And they didn't do anything about it. Ongoing sin among those who claim consistently to be believers in our body cannot be allowed to be ongoing. As elders, we must confront immorality that's practiced in the church. For the sake of the one soul that's practicing it and for the purity of the body of Christ. It's not ever done out of hatred. It's not done from I'm holier than thou. We're just rowing in the boat trying to be good stewards over the church. We're just spectacles. We're just people trying to serve God. It's not our church. It's God's church. But in this responsibility of leading, we have to make a decision when there's... Blatant immorality that's stout in public going on. Now look, he tells us how to handle church discipline in some other passage. If you see a brother has a sin, you go to him, you talk to him, you deal with him privately. Then you take people with you. There's a whole process there. <coughs> but this sin was so known and ongoing, it blows my mind a little bit that someone would have this kind of thing going on in their church and still act like everything's okay. It amazes me. Everything's not okay. And the body suffers. <clears throat> Discipline is never out of a holier than thou attitude. I'm only here because of the grace of God. I am a broken, wounded mess. And God rescued me. This is not about us being holier than anybody else. It's about trying to save someone in a rebellious, ongoing situation that's impacting the church. I can tell you as elders, we've had those hard hard conversations with people. We'll continue to have them because we live in a broken world and people mess up. And I don't know of one time whenever we've confronted 
immorality or drunkenness or other things. I don't know of one time when our elders did not act full of grace and gentleness and yet at the same time lay the word out to challenge somebody to change their life. We cannot refuse to follow Paul's guidance in this matter. But we have to do it like a parent who loves his kid. And it'll be worth it if it saves somebody's soul. Think about the times in your life where you wish somebody had confronted your weakness earlier. How many miles of damage would it have saved if somebody had brought you and reached out to you earlier in your mess? Could have saved a lot of heartache. So the church, yeah, it's a challenge. This correcting with integrity and righteousness, it's one that Paul does as a leader. And he teaches others to do the same. What a terrible wickedness. I don't blame the world living like they live. Someone said, Mike, isn't it just terrible? You see on TV, you see all these other, the blatant immorality and those things. By the way, the Corinthian church, he's going to say, there's sexual immorality, there's fornication, there's homosexuality. And he says, remember, such were some of you. But now, you've come out of that stuff and live different. I love the but now people. You know? What a great testimony to the power of God. Some of you may be in situations and you need your but now moment. You need the crossover moment when you say, that's behind me. I'm leaving that world and I'm getting on board with the gospel. That's why Jesus died to save you from your sins. He'll help you walk and we'll help you too. Actually, you'll help us. We're in together, right? But now. But to come across to that and live as a believer and then go back into some blatant immorality is not something that we can put up with as a church. But out of love for our children. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> someone asked me, Mike, how many people have you baptized uh, I couldn't begin to tell you. It's not because it's a great number. I just never kept up with it. I'm, I'm not about numbers. Numbers and lists always tend to be legalistic somewhere down the line. I try to, I try to stay away from numbers and lists, you know. Uh, I don't know. I know some that I've been very, very close to in the faith. And I had a part of their conversion one way or another and, and journeyed with them. And it is a joy to hear from them. Remember, like First John, oh, it's a joy to hear that your children are walking in the faith. Isn't that a joy? When you walk faithful to God, you become a joy to your Father in heaven and to those that have worked alongside you and walked with you in life. Be a joy to those who are your fathers in the faith. Today, you might need to start your faith journey by being baptized into Christ. Maybe some of you just need a brand new beginning that says, you know what? My pride's been in the way. I don't want to be like the Corinthians. I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to be arrogant. 
and I don't want to overlook serious sin. I just want to serve God with all my heart. That's what our invitation is about. That's what our church is about. If you have a need, you can come right now while we stand and sing.